Hey, Hug Church. Welcome to the Hug Church Podcast. This is Justin, and I'm the executive pastor in training. Wow, I can't believe we're on episode number 102. And as we wrap up our year very soon, I just want to say thank you for supporting the vision of Hug, for helping us build a safe place and a place of connection. And if you want to give, just go to our website at hugchurch.com slash give. Also, along with your financial support, we'd like to invite the Hug community to give their time this Christmas season to the most vulnerable in our community. With the rising pandemic, many have lost access to basic needs such as food. So moreover, there's a population of people who are unable to access food pantries because they don't own a car or physically unable to leave their home. And to help with this need, well, we'd like to invite you to be food heroes through Delivering with Dignity. This program empowers volunteer drivers to bring fresh cooked meals from local Orange County restaurants to the doorsteps of households who lack access to food pantries. This is a massive life changer for homes and small businesses as well. So to become a driver, go to the link tinyurl.com slash with dignity or just Google it and hopefully it shows up. So every one of these deliveries will make a huge impact. So for today's teaching, I want to introduce you to our special guest teacher, the former executive pastor here at Hug, the author of I'm Not Neat, But I'm Organized, and you can download this on Kindle today. The current VP for Hug's denomination, the chief ministry officer, she helps and supports hundreds and hundreds of churches throughout North America, expert strategist, graphic designer, multi-talented, multifaceted, Pastor Angela Yee. Hey there, Hug Church. It's great to be with you again. It's nice to be back in California, though a few months ago we had quite a welcome. You may recall that there was a wildfire, a couple wildfires that went on, some pretty serious ones. Maybe you were even impacted by them. And one of them down by where I live is the Silverado fire. That started on a morning and within two days it had burned 11,000 acres and was 0% contained. So here in Tustin we just watched that evacuation zone expand and expand, and it came to within three miles of our house. In fact, here's a little map, and the blue dot is where our house is. So within the house, we could smell smoke, our our throats got sore, we could see ash blowing around, and some of our friends were evacuated. Maybe you even had to evacuate. There was another fire over up in the Fullerton area where Hug Church is, the Blue Ridge Fire. That one was also quite large. And so both fires burned over 13,000 acres, and in all, 90,000 people had to evacuate because of those fires. Well, thankfully, they were contained, though sadly there was some damage and also some people hurt. Now, this fire was caused by some unintentional means. The theory is that there was probably some kind of electrical, something happened with their equipment and uh, the power company. But it did make me think back to the Bible when someone faced a fire that was set intentionally. And in fact, this person, he and his friends had been on a very long trip and when they came back, they discovered that someone had set fire to their homes and burned them to the ground. Not only that, but even worse, all their loved ones had been kidnapped. This story is found in 1 Samuel 30 and it's the story of David. So a little background first. The story of David facing the giant Goliath is fairly well known, and after that, the Israelite king is so happy that he drafts David into his army. And everything starts to go really well until David starts to do better than Saul, and Saul becomes jealous of David and decides to kill him off. Well, 
David's a pretty smart guy, and after the king tries to use him for target practice with a spear, David decides it would probably be better for his health and his wholeness if he made himself scarce. So he does a lot of running and hiding, and eventually he becomes a troublemaker magnet. Because misery loves company, David attracts men with the three Ds, distressed, debt-laden, and discontent. They drift David's way, and obviously he's a soft-hearted leader. Uh, he becomes their leader, somehow ends up with this army of 600 men and all their families. So most of my life when I was reading the Bible and when David was on the run from Saul, I thought it was just David running around, sneaking, trying to get away. But in fact, it was his 600 men as well, trying to stealthily tiptoe through the desert. This is no mean feat. So after all, it just gets too hard. And so David goes to the last place where Saul will go, deep into the heart of enemy territory where the Philistines are. And in fact, plot twist, he ends up as one of the Philistine king's top army generals. And all would go well if it weren't for history repeating itself and people getting suspicious of David and asking the king to kick him out. So the king does. And David and his 600 faithful men go back home to where their families are to a town called Ziklag, and they discover something horrifying. So let's read. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the woman and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons taken captive. Can you imagine if you were David? So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. They cried so much that they were spent. Their pain was unspeakable. David's two wives had been captured. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Wow. Talk about hitting rock bottom. All the suffering David's gone through, the injustice of a king trying to kill you, well, you've done nothing wrong. Being the most wanted man on the run, so desperate that you have to run and hide out in enemy territory. And now, to top it off, your dear loved ones have been kidnapped and your home burned down. To make it worse, your men, the very ones who have stood by your side while you were hiding in enemy Philistine territory, they're now talking about killing you. If I were David, I would have turned to God and said, why me? This was not what I've signed up for. Have you ever had that feeling? Maybe some of you right now are thinking, this is not what I signed up for. Now, I had the privilege and the blessing of serving back at HUG a few years ago. And over time, God called me out to go serve the denomination that HUG is a part of, the Evangelical Covenant Church. And it seemed really evident that God was leading me to do this job, but... I wasn't exactly sure what I was supposed to do for my job. I mean, it seemed to make a lot of sense and checked off the list in terms of the match for my skills and my experiences. And when I interviewed, they said that I would be serving the president and executing his vision. 
okay, great. I feel like God called me to be a number two. I love being in the second chair and following a visionary leader. They said I would be using my consulting skills and basically consulting with our teams and organizational leadership skills and systems. And okay, I'd like to do that too. I'm bent towards helping organizations develop systems and leaders and structures. And I read books about organizing, hierarchical, self-managing, agile, and matrix organizations for fun. Check. They told me I'd be developing collaboration and breaking down silos. Well, I love it when everybody works together. So check again. And most importantly, they said this was about building a denomination that serves churches, that builds the kingdom of God. And amen, that's my calling to build God's kingdom. So double check. So my husband and I said goodbye to our kids and we moved out to Chicago where the office is. So I started in this role and it was so much fun. There was so much to learn. The ECC denomination is amazing. There are so many things going on and God is doing so much good work all over the world. I marvel that I get to be part of this amazing mission. I get to work with some of the most incredible leaders I've ever met. I was traveling around, I was meeting people, leading strategic discussions, praying, discerning together, and generally very grateful that God called me to this role. And then COVID hit. The news got worse and worse, and suddenly within a few days, our office shut down and we all went to work from home. My husband and I thought, well, maybe it would be a few weeks, and we said, well, why are we hanging out here in this cold weather in Chicago when we can move back to California and be with our kids? If we have to work remotely, might as well do it from there. And so we were so happy to move back and be reunited. But one month stretched to two, and I found myself in serious meetings as we looked at our finances and came to the reality that we would need to reduce our staffing and so two months into COVID, we had to say goodbye to some very dear staff. It was very painful and sad time. Then it stretched out another month and came the news that the executive board of our denomination had decided to sell our building, which sent ripples of shock through the denomination. It was really hard for people to process this as we have had a physical building for who knows how long. And then another thing they voted on was to convene a team called the Strategic Alignment Team, which is a group of people who will ultimately propose a new structure for the denominational office, staffing, and systems. And we will invest into building our overall infrastructure of the denomination. We went on this denominational listening initiative. It's uncovered some areas of great need and opportunity in the denomination. At the same time, it means we do have to reduce in other areas and create financial sustainability. And so that means inevitably some roles will be eliminated or combined. It's a long process to go through this reorganization and due to our governance structure, the final changes won't be implemented until next June, almost a year later. It's a long time to wait. Experts say reorganizations should be quicker and less painful. It's really hard to go through a long process and it's hard on our staff because basically people are in limbo for a long time. It's hard to be a leader when you know that whatever you do in the end 
there will be people whose lives are impacted because tough choices need to be made in this challenging time. So it was a few weeks ago that I felt like I was starting to experience some anxiety. I'd sit in a virtual meeting and I feel like the walls were closing in and I started to feel claustrophobic and this compulsion to suddenly leave. This was a little hard to do when I was running the meetings. But the good thing was, when I could, I would just say, okay, we're done with the meeting, goodbye, and end the meeting early. I didn't understand what was going on. And as I processed it with some wise people, I discovered that I hadn't allowed myself to really reflect on the sad, painful, and stressful parts of everything that had happened. So my mind would have let let me process it, which is why the anxiety symptoms were leaking out through my body. It really forced me to sit down and reflect on all that had happened. So many changes, challenges, and stresses. And that was when I came to the conclusion that this is not what I signed up for. Maybe you can relate. COVID's changed everything. People have been laid off. Life is disrupted. Some people feel trapped and deeply unhappy. California keeps shutting down, opening up, shutting down, opening up, shutting shutting down. And some have even lost loved ones. Circumstances are really challenging right now. There's so much uncertainty. None of us knows what the future holds. And uncertainty causes great anxiety. Studies show that we're wired for certainty and security. When there's stress, our brains have a hard time being creative. If you're overloaded with too many things to think about or to do, your brain becomes paralyzed and it's harder to reach goals and make decisions. When there's too much going on, you'll feel more tired and your motivation may go down. So David was in this kind of situation. It's pretty serious. His family had vanished. He lost his home. His very community that has supported him was turning against him. He didn't know what the future looked like. It would have been so easy for David to be angry at God, doubt him, or turn his back on him. And in light of this, it's incredible what David's response was. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. He knew he couldn't rely on human strength or an ability to control the circumstances. There was only one place that David could turn. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. Where do you find strength? When you're stressed, where do you turn? I know I'm a little strange, but when I get stressed, I turn to getting organized. My desk is a pretty good indication of what my internal state of mind looks like. So if it's messy, it's very likely that my mental state is also a mess. When I feel stressed, I clean off my entire desk and I go organize the closets. It strikes fear into the heart of my family because they know that when I'm done, they won't know where anything is anymore because chances are I've moved it. So my family's pretty different from me. I can tell when Albert is stressed because all of a sudden, he's played tons of video games. There's just something satisfying about crushing aliens. So for other people, it's working out. Some people like to be out in nature and maybe it brings you peace. And some people call a friend or they'll just go through a texting rant. Others disconnect by watching some kind of show or playing music or doing art or reading a book. 
And then sometimes we can even turn to unhealthy behaviors like binge eating or turning to addiction or other ways to find strength. David found strength in the Lord his God. He didn't rely on his own strength. He didn't turn to distraction. He didn't run away. He didn't complain. He didn't blame. He didn't gripe. David found strength in the Lord his God. What does it mean to find strength? Well, when you turn to somebody for strength, there's an assumption that they actually have the strength to help. And so you may have heard of these words used to describe God. Omnipotent, which means all-powerful. Omniscient, which means all-knowing. And omnipresent, which means always present. And so these words convey a little of the vastness of God. It's a little hard picturing having a relationship with a being like that. Why would an all-powerful God want a relationship with you? Well, the amazing thing is that he does. This omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent God gave up all these omnis and came down as a human to give his life for you. He gave up all of his power to become humble, become a humble man to die for you so that the barrier of sin between you and God could be removed. But it wasn't just a one-time act of love. God continues to want want to deepen that relationship with you. And that means if you're going through hard times, he wants you to turn to him. Well, I'm super scared of heights. And one of the scariest things for me would be to try to walk across a suspension bridge. So this picture here is the Royal Gorge Bridge in Colorado. The Royal Gorge Bridge is 1,053 feet above the river. And I was on it when I was a little kid. I still remember how scary it was. Even though it's built for cars, there was this feeling that any moment the bridge would fall. And if that's not scary enough for you, there's a bridge in China in the Hunan province that you can walk across that is made of glass. The bridge is 1,410 feet across and has a 984 foot drop. Some of you right now are in the middle of that suspension bridge. It's swaying in the wind, Underneath you is glass. You wonder if it will shatter and send you falling to your death. And there's a fog before you, but you can see the bottom of the canyon and it's terrifying. You're crawling step by step, hoping you'll make it to the other side. In fact, you're not even sure where the other side is because of the fog ahead of you. But there's something that makes all the difference when you're on a bridge. So I looked up scariest bridges, and there are some that are pretty scary. There are some really high up that bounce or sway around or look like they're going to fall apart at any moment. But one of the scariest and most dangerous ones is a bridge without any railing, and it's called the Kwandinsky Bridge in Russia. It's so narrow only one vehicle can go at a time. When there are winds and snow, there are no railings to protect you. So they've closed down the bridge for good reason, but I just see, whose idea was it even to make a bridge like that without railings? What a difference having guardrails makes. When you're on a suspension bridge, you want to have guardrails to keep you from falling over the edge and to hold onto as you step forward inch by inch. There are two guardrails that you can rely on that will never fail you. And one is the guardrail of God's control. 
God is always in control. One of my favorites is Romans 8:28, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This verse reminds us that the God who made the universe, who works out all things for the good of those who love him, is in control. Life may seem out of control, but God is not out of control. There are bad things that happen, and it's because it's up to him. He's not sitting up in heaven, wringing his hands, going, oh dear, oh dear, I didn't see that one coming. He knows what the future holds, and he actually allows it. He allows all the things to work for the good of those who love him, and that's the guardrail of God's control. The other guardrail is God's care. You can fully rely on the fact that God loves you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's kind of mind-blowing to know that God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, always-present God, cares for you. Just as any parent wants to care for their children, God cares for you. His love will never go away. Just like the guardrail of God's control, you can always rely on the fact that God loves you more than you'll ever understand. And that will never change. These two guardrails of God's control and God's care provide stability for you. So you don't have to worry about falling off the bridge. You can look to God for your strength, even in the midst of being in the middle of the bridge. It's so fascinating when you read the story of David. You can see how his lifelong pattern is always to turn to God first. It's evident that these two guardrails of God's control and God's care is what he clings to in his life. He wrote many psalms, and in his psalms, he writes, he talks about God's power and his control, his love and care. When things are good, David praises God. When things are bad, he looks to God for strength. When things are uncertain, he asks God for direction. So after David gets back to Ziklag, his, he and his men turn against him. He looks to God for strength. What does he do next? Well, since David's a proactive leader, you just think he just get up and go rescue his family. But instead, the first thing David does is he goes to God for direction. Then what happens? Well, David follows God's direction and they happen to stumble upon an Egyptian abandoned by the enemy army who happens to know where the Amalekites are going, which leads them to the enemy army. And David fights them and rescues back every single person and takes back every item of plunder. Wow, that seems like a Disney ending. But that's only part of the story. There's more. When you face challenges, you get fixated on that long drop that is below you. The fog before you means you have no idea how long you're going to be on this bridge. It's so easy to feel worried and feel stressed because you've got your eye on how big the drop is. But God's perspective is zoomed out. He's above the fog. He can see where you are on the map and the entire journey ahead of you. He sees the beauty all around that you may miss in your moment of stress. And that's what hit me as I was studying this passage. David was off fighting the Amalekites in Ziklag, the same time that Saul was fighting the Philistines at Mount Gilboa, and ultimately Saul died there. With Saul dying, this meant that David could now be king. But if David had been anywhere near Saul, people could have accused David of plotting to kill 
the king. This would mean that David's monarchy would have started with a dark shadow of conspiracy theories and people being divided on whether to trust and follow David or not. But because David was off rescuing his family, there was not a shadow of doubt on David's ascension to be king. What seemed like a terrible thing to David in the short term, in the long term, was a big blessing as he stepped into his calling. God knew this. And even though the circumstances were terrible, God knew that someday David would be king. He allowed the bad things to happen to actually move David closer towards the direction that God intended. And this is something that God continues to teach me because even through my work, it definitely was not anything that I ever expected and not anything I thought I had signed up for. But God has given me this unmistakable peace that this is where he wants me. The denomination's his is his. He knows what the future holds. He's turned my anxiety into appreciation. I'm grateful to serve him where I'm at. And I know the fact that God's control and care is true for me and for you. God is in control. He cares for you. If you're in the middle of this bridge, he's calling you to take the next step forward. He sees the future and he holds it. You may not have any idea of the future, but he's got it. God's got it. And your role is to find strength in him. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you knowing that you are the all-powerful Father, our Creator, who knows the future, and that we can rest in that. Thank you for your incredible care for us. Thank you for reminding us that you are always in control and that we can trust you. Lord, thank you so much for your strength that you provide us when we are stressed or we are anxious and we pray that your peace would cover us. We lift all this up in Jesus' name. Amen.